work together virtually. <laughs> this is working. Take a deep breath, everyone. And out. Of course, my nose starts running the second we do that. Gross. Okay, mine runs every episode. So this is our, thankfully not our third time recording the entire episode, but third time attempting to start the recording because it keeps, now I'm second guessing all of my equipment. I'm like, oh my God, is it working? Yes. Yeah, double check it all. It's all good. We're good. We're fine. We're fine. It's okay. This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. Hello. And I am Sabrina. Is your sweatshirt blue or black? Blue. It's navy. Oh. Navy blue. Ladies and tangents. Did you I didn't realize, get a black one? Yeah, because I got black and I thought we had gotten the same one. And <gasps> this is the first time I'm noticing it is navy blue. I wanted the blue one because it reminded me for some reason of Princess Diana. And so oh. that's how I wear it. You did change your recording location today. You're You're keeping us on our toes. On your toes. I'm in a new spot because... Here's what happened. Brian and I had to call someone to come help us with our leaves. We're normally would never be people that like would pay for that. Not that there's anything wrong with paying for that, but we just bought a house, so we don't really have money to pay for that. <laughs> so we were like, oh, we have to do it ourselves. So we mm-hmm. have a leaf blower that his parents gave us for Christmas and they like pre gave it to us so we could use it. And then we bought some leaf bags. And two rakes at the hardware store. And we were working for hours, sweating our asses off. We got like not even a quarter of the yard into a pile. And we're like, there's no way we can do this. It's too hard. So I changed my recording location because there's a lot of activity going on outside. People who know what they're doing. People who keep up with yard work rather than wait for all the leaves to fall and then try to do it all in one go, which do not do that. I learned that this year. To be fair, you just moved in and you were on tour. So you really just got into your house. So don't be too hard on yourself. Are you pro jumping in a pile of leaves? I'm so pro jumping in a pile of leaves. But here's something I read online that has made me question every time I've ever jumped in a pile of leaves. What? Apparently, it's like a spider fest in a pile of leaves. And also, in the Northeast, now there's a really big tick problem with deer ticks and Lyme disease. And I guess there's a lot of ticks in the leaf piles, too. So I'm like, yeah, will I jump in one? Probably. But it's not going to be for a long time. I'm not going to roll around it. I'm not going to bury myself in it. And as soon as I get out, I'm going to have to do like the full spider and tick check. Yeah. So it's like, is it worth it? Got to weigh it. Right. I feel like a once a year for the thrill and the fun of it, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, I've got a shit ton of leaves. So if you want to come next fall. If you get a puppy and then a puppy and kids, it's like you have to. Yeah. That's the uh, mandate. Sabrina, you were hearing me on tour for the last two weeks. I had such bad puppy fever. You did. I was like, that's because you're just ready to nest. And (laughs) you're like, how do I stay at home forever? A puppy. Yeah. What's my excuse? Yeah, I had puppy fever and I came back and I was like, Brian, we should get a dog. Because before we had talked about us getting a dog once we have a child or are pregnant. And that was kind of like the rule. And I was like, let's just get a dog. And he's like, actually, I think maybe we should wait for even like a few years after kids to have a dog. And I was like, oh my God, it's getting punted a few years now. Wow. But I get it. The house is really overwhelming. We've got so much to do here. So yeah, no dog for me. Meanwhile, I've been having dog fever. I want like a big dog. Mm. 
gonna have to get a new apartment if you want to if you want a big ass dog because <laughs> Leia's in two tight quarters to be with one. I think Leia would suck it up. I have to figure it out. But I also almost <laughs> you put Leia through so much. She's like, I hate fostering. I'm not gonna want to share with a dog. I was actually gonna pick up a foster kitten last night, but you were. Yeah, I, I am gonna probably do it again soon. I just need to. Leia has a little bit of a rash, so I'm trying to help clear that up first, and then yeah, we'll do it. Poor baby. So I was looking at haunted spots in Aruba for your honeymoon. <laughs> oh, great. Thank We've you. actually talked about one. My dream honeymoon, Brian's anti-honeymoon. Well, there's a place called Rose Hall, which we talked about on the podcast, which is in Aruba. Mm. And it's like a beautiful wedding venue. Really? But it's haunted. I don't remember it. What happened there? I don't remember. I just remembered <laughs> the name. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about one place. This is really dark, but... What? I was in Aruba when Natalie Holloway went missing. Oh, that's a pivot. Okay. Or I guess I was I was in Aruba five hours after she went missing. Yeah, this is really sad. Because she went missing around like 1 or 2 a.m. And we landed around 5 a.m. And so the entire time we were there, the FBI was combing the beach. There were just like guys dressed up in suits and helicopters going over the entire time. So... Yeah, I've been to Aruba twice, and that the very first time I went was, unfortunately, when they had probably one of the biggest crimes that's ever happened there, because it's a relatively safe island. So sad. So, so sad. Not a haunting, but... Well, uh, it's a haunting horrible. memory, I guess, for you. It's a haunting memory, for sure. Uh, Something a little bit more of a positive. <laughs> so Corinne and I are doing quarterly book clubs on Patreon for our Only Phantoms, and we have one this December. If you would like to join, we read The House Across the Lake, which is a Riley Sager book, and mm -hmm. then we're going to discuss it. You also don't have to have read it. You could just come and tell us about the books that you are reading, and we could just chat about reading generally. Yeah. And then we'll all together pick another book and have another book club the first quarter of next year. Great. Perfect. Great. Love it. Love the Riley Sager book. Mm -hmm. I feel like all of our book club books are going to be within the same vein of that Spooky. one. Yes. Yeah. Crack open Elisa Jewel, all the good stuff. But I'm excited. This will like get me back into reading because I go in really big swings. I've never been consistent. I'll like read 10 books in like six weeks and then I won't read again for seven months. Are you going to read on your honeymoon? Oh, yeah. Because I'm not planning on using my phone at all. So I'm going to crank through stuff. What are you going to read? Well, I'll tell you because I have a few books that I have I have them listed on my Goodreads, but there's a few that I need to finish that I've either started or downloaded. There's a lot. Okay. I need to finish My Sister's Grave, which I had started when we were on tour and still haven't gotten to. I also have All the Light We Cannot See oh, downloaded. Yeah. And then There Were None by Agatha Christie. It's a That's, great one. I also had that downloaded. And Misery by Stephen King. Oh, Misery is so good. You haven't read that? Have you seen the movie? No. I don't think I've read a single Stephen King novel. Oh my gosh. Misery is a really good quick read. Yeah. And then I have The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. So those are the ones that I, I have to go through. They've been on my list forever. And I'm like, okay, now's the time. The Great Alone is super fascinating. It's kind of a slower read, but it's mm. beautifully written and just a very interesting story about Alaska. Yeah. I think I'll like it. 
I like stuff like that. I really liked it. I love Kristen and Hannah generally. Nightingale. Yeah. Oh, are you okay, Lee? Did you hear her? She like burped or like choked? No. Oh, God. Is she going to vomit on the couch? Do you eat too fast, little girl? Oh, she was so cute last night. She burrowed under the covers with me and was just like in my arms. Oh, I love her so mm. much. Cute little sweetie. Well, this is a great transition because Edgar Allan Poe also really loved his cat. His cat's name was Cat Tarina. Katarina. Wait, that is so funny. I've never heard that for a cat name before. And it's so like it, you would think more people would do that. That's clever. Yeah. C A T T E R I N A. Cat Tarina. Cat Tarina. And it was like a gray little tabby that he loved oh so much. And this is going to be another long episode. This is part two of Edgar Allan Poe. And we call it Edgar Allan Poe. A man haunts. A man haunts. I'm going to begin this episode very similarly to how I started last episode, and that is with a quote. I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. That's a really interesting perspective. That sanity is more horrible than insanity. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah. To just like live in your own fantasy sometimes. But I guess it really depends on what what you're experiencing. But yeah, Yeah. sometimes life is scarier than anything you can imagine up yourself. I also feel like (laughs) lying between sanity and insanity is a bit thin. It's not sure how to tell the difference because sometimes when I think I'm the most sane is what drives me the most insane. (laughs) Like in my sane mind, I start to think like really existential things that make me feel insane. Yeah, the line is thin. If you go either way, if you teeter a little too far, honestly, I feel like it's all the same. Like, what is even being a human? Aren't we all a little bit of everything? How do we even define this stuff? That's the question. So here's the thing about gifting. I feel like there's a lot of people in my life that it's difficult to gift things to, but I've found Mm -hmm. a gift that has been so popular, and it is the skylight frame. It's the most personal and thoughtful gift, and you can also personalize it before you give it. It's the skylight digital picture frame. I'm so excited because my sister just had a baby, so it's my first niece, and I'm really excited to get the skylight frame for multiple people in my family and that we can all have a rotating imagery of Noe and watch her grow up and have my sister be able to like add photos to the album. Yeah. And if you are giving it as a gift, you can even preload photos before the box is opened. It's also so easy to use. Setup only takes 60 seconds and you can really effortlessly send photos from your photo roll to the frame with the free Skylight app and your unique email. The whole process is so easy for really anyone of any generation to use. It's also great if you've just commemorated a special event like a wedding or a honeymoon, Corinne. Maybe I'll get one and then you can just upload all the pictures from your honeymoon (laughs) for me. Okay. So (laughs) as a special limited time offer for our listeners, you can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com forward slash girls. To get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com forward slash girls. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash girls. We ended part one with this. Perhaps the greatest mystery of Edgar Allan Poe is his death. 
because no one knows why or how the man died or what happened in the days leading up to his death. What is known is strange and peculiar, and that the master of the macabre, father of the detective story, has left us with yet another mystery. Hmm. Because as we ended in part one, Edgar Allan Poe's beloved cousin-wife, wife-slash-cousin, Virginia, yes, died of tuberculosis in January of 1847 in Fordham, New York. And after Virginia's death, Poe descended into a deep depression, turned once again to alcohol, and was drinking his sorrows away. He traveled quite a bit. He was pretty successful with his writing at this time, but again, wasn't making much money. Like He was Mm. regarded as a great author or writer, but was not reaping in any type of financial success. And probably what success he did have was so inconsistent that it probably didn't amount to much, even if he was paid a large sum at any point. Yeah. So he was traveling a bit and ended up falling in love with this woman named Sarah Helen Whitman, who was also a poet. And she lived in Rhode Island. And they like, it seems like a very chaotic relationship. They were writing love letters to one another. There's a famous poem called To Helen that is a poem from Poe to Helen Whitman, Sarah Helen Whitman. And he proposed to her, but this was like a very short-lived engagement because it was like a very erratic, chaotic relationship. He was drinking a ton. He promised he would become sober. He kept drinking. Anyway, during this relationship, Poe also attempted to die by suicide twice by drinking lethal amounts of laudanum. Poe and Sarah Helen call off the engagement and Poe made his way back home to Richmond, Virginia. I'm so curious what Poe is like in a romantic relationship because he seemed so difficult to get to know and so difficult of a person to just consistently keep in your life if you're anybody else. And so I wonder what side of him romantic partners experienced. Well, I mean, I really do think there was a lot of like love bombing and, but also think about his past. He loved his mother and he all of these women figures in his life were dying i think he so desperately wanted to hold on to women and like have that love i actually yeah book recommendation i'm reading the book attached and it's all about attachment styles and theories in love and relationships it's so fascinating there's three different attachment styles there's anxious secure and avoidant and it just talks about like different relationships and meeting each other's needs and everything Highly recommend, great read, even if you just like want to understand humanity and relationships with with friends. It's like it goes all kinds of ways. And parents. That's like I remember in one of my early psych classes in undergrad, there's an entire month basically dedicated to attachment styles when it comes to like childhood development. Yeah. And so it's also really interesting to see how people interact with like toddlers and their kids Mm -hmm. and how that forms their attachment style, which they take with them. And that's oftentimes if they have an unhealthy attachment style to a parent, it can often show itself in romantic relationships down the road and stuff like that. So it is important if you are a parent to learn about that stuff now. It definitely is. And people's attachment styles can change and they also are influenced by life experience. But yes, they're very heavily influenced by how you are brought up by your parents and that attachment style. Anyway, in reading that and doing this research about Poe, I'm like, oh, he's for sure like an anxious, he's got an anxious attachment style. Like he probably wants 
to keep these relationships so deeply and strongly. And then all these women are dying. And he's he might have the like rarest kind, which is anxious and avoidant attachment styles. I mean, yeah, he seemed like the thing about Poe's life is there's a lot of other people that probably had very similar life experiences as him at the time in terms of parents passing and just like the tuberculosis and the plague and like different things going on. His reactions and and the way things affected him were very deep. So he's clearly like a very deep feeling. Sensitive. Yeah. Person and deep feeling child. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So he, it makes me think like, especially with the way they write these love letters to one another and what I read, it just seemed like a very up and down relationship with Sarah Helen. They broke off their engagement and he went back to Richmond, Virginia, which if you remember, that's where he was raised by the Allen family. He ended up having a lot of difficult relationships with them. So Richmond did have some darker memories that were reminiscent at that town, but he returns there and he ends up kind of settling down. He's quiet, having a moment of solace. He still technically lives in Fordham where his wife, Virginia, had passed away and his Mm -hmm. aunt slash mother-in-law, Marie, lives still. But he's in Richmond for a little bit and he meets and rekindles a relationship. So you remember in part one, I told you about that story of Sarah Elmira Shelton that he proposed to before going to university. And then her dad was so against it that he ended up having her marry someone else. Yes. So he rekindles with her. His wow childhood sweetheart. So w- had she been married before or is she rid- widowed, divorced? She's widowed. Yeah. Okay. She's now widowed. She has a couple children. And Sarah and Poe rekindle. Apparently, they were like the best of friends. And a lot of people believe that Poe's one, like his heart was always going to be with Virginia, but that his friendship with this woman, Sarah Elmira, was so strong and beautiful that like they just had this connection. Mm. And Poe even gets sober. Wow. Yeah. How old is he at this point? He's uh, almost 40. 39 maybe. Good for him. He vows. And he had done this a lot where he vowed and promised he would get sober. He would go through Mm. times where he would and then, of course, fell off. But Yeah. Easier said than done. Right. At this time, he does tell Sarah Elmira that he is going to be sober He loves her. They get engaged, which they were excited about, but Sarah's children were not very excited about. And Poe knew the reputation he had. He knew that he was trouble. He knew that people didn't really like him, but he was like, I promise I'm going to become sober. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Let's get married. They plan their wedding. And Edgar's like, okay, we're going to get married and we're going to move to Richmond. So he plans to go back to Fordham, New York, to go get his aunt slash mother-in-law, Marie, and move her to Richmond before the wedding. Mm -hmm. And on this journey, he was going to make a couple of stops for work things. And so now it is, I believe it's September of 1849. Poe says goodbye to his soon-to-be wife, Sarah, and takes a steamboat. And as Sarah watches Poe depart, she all of a sudden has this sinking feeling of dread. Like a premonition? Yeah. She was like, I feel like something's wrong. And 
Little did she know this is actually the last time she would ever see Edgar Allan Poe alive. Isn't that wild what our intuitions I know. tell us? I mean, I feel like we we call it intuition so often, but like it pretty much is a premonition. Like you just know something yeah. is wrong. And it's so strange that we know that because it's it's frustrating to think that we're being told something is wrong in this sort of category where it feels like what's about to happen is predetermined. You know? Yeah. Like you're you're picking up on the energy of the air, like a wrinkle in time, basically, that is telling you what's going to happen in yeah. an hour from now or like 10 days from now. I know. That's the frustrating thing. It's like, but then it's also, this is hard because it's like, we're hearing about this so after the fact, like, is that, you know, in her morning was like, I knew something was wrong or was it really in the moment? Did she feel that? It's hard to know because it's <laughs> hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. But Apparently she, so she says goodbye to him and returns back to home and he was taking the steamboat September 27th, getting into Baltimore, Maryland on the 28th. And she like had this sinking feeling that she like runs back to where the steamboat takes off and was hoping that he hadn't left yet, but he had. I can't imagine her anxiety just like running up. It probably took so much for her too to like trust her gut there. And to be like, no, I I actually need to take action. Yeah. And how helpless she must have felt standing there realizing. Yeah. It's very it sad. was too late. She couldn't tell him. She couldn't say anything. She couldn't appear, quote unquote, crazy, and but still maybe have a chance to convince him not to get on the boat. Yeah. That's sad. So we don't know what happened. So that was September 27th. He arrives to Baltimore, Maryland on September 28th, 1849. And... We have absolutely no idea what happened, but a few days later, on October 3rd, Edgar Allan Poe is found wandering the streets of Baltimore, Maryland. It is late, October 3rd, 1849, when a man named Joseph Walker spots a strange man looking lost and confused outside of Gunner's Hall Tavern, which is in Baltimore. He, like, has to take a double take because this man is wearing like really like ragged clothes. He's wearing an old straw hat. He looks like he hasn't been washed or cleaned. He almost looks like he is an unhoused man. But then he realizes he recognizes this man. It's Edgar Allan Poe. He had worked with him before on one of the magazines that Poe had worked on. Poe was like a frequent visitor to Baltimore, so he was well known. But Poe was disheveled. He was out of place. He was confused and distressed. And Joseph was like so confused. Like this is so unlike Poe, especially the attire is really a strange thing because Poe is known to wear like the long black trench coat and his hat. So where did his clothes go? We do not know. And he approaches Edgar and asks if he's okay, but Poe cannot string together a coherent sentence. It looked like he had been attacked and stripped of his personal items or traded his clothes with someone. It's not clear if he was beat or anything, but it looked like someone had Mm. taken his stuff. Joseph helps usher Poe into Gunner's Hall Tavern, and they call for J.E. Snodgrass, who is an acquaintance of Poe's who lives in the area, and they're basically like, let's get a doctor here to look at him. Snodgrass arrives, and he too is stunned by the state that Poe is in, but they're like, you know what? He maybe just fell off the wagon again, and he's drinking. But he is more incoherent than they've ever seen him. So they sent him to Washington College Hospital, 
He was taken into a ward for those who were ill due to intoxication, and for the next few days, Poe remained in this intoxicated state, in and out of consciousness, for days. So he was in and out of consciousness, so he wasn't able to say what happened to him or remember what happened to him? When he was conscious, he was unable to complete sentences or communicate what had happened to him. Doctors tried to help him, but he remained in distress. He was not allowed to have any visitors. Apparently, he conversed with people. Like, doctors would be watching him, and he would be having conversations with people who weren't there. Like, almost spirits or something. Yeah. Like, he was maybe kind of in and out of death, too, a little bit. He was so close. This continued for four days. So, he was admitted into the hospital October 3rd, and very sadly, on... October 7th, 1849, just before the sun rose, Edgar Allan Poe died at just 40 years old. Wow. Even more devastating, his fiance, Sarah, was back in Richmond. She was under the assumption that Poe had made it to New York, had gotten Marie and was on his way back. She's opening a newspaper one morning and just flipping through, reading through. And then all of a sudden she sees the name Edgar Allan Poe. And she's like, oh, what is this? She reads that he is dead and finds out that he has died by reading a newspaper. Oh my God, that poor woman. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And also the confusion, too, because it's not like he died in New York, which is where he was supposed to be. He was somewhere completely different. Yes. So to wonder what happened to him and how he got there and have no answers. And to this day, no one knows. Like, we do not know what happened. He arrived in Baltimore on the 28th of September. He was not seen again until the evening of October 3rd. No one knows what happened in those five days. Yeah, that's a long time. Does anyone have any theories? Like, are there no eyewitnesses? There are theories, which we are about to discuss. Thank you for asking. Okay. (laughs) So over the years, we've gathered the following. In June of 1849, so before even going to Baltimore, Poe had gone on a speaking tour to raise funds for that literary magazine that he'd always dreamed of making. It was going to be called Stylus. It went really well. He returned to Richmond. He was planning his wedding with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah. He vowed to never take a sip of alcohol again. And as far as everyone knew, he was sober. But it wasn't the first time he made that promise, but everyone had believed that he was not drinking. Mm -hmm. Before he left on the steamboat on September 27th, kind of prior to this, he had gotten cholera during the cholera outbreak and had survived. And so he had some lasting side effects from it that before going on this trip, Sarah was like, let's take you to the doctor just to like get a checkup and make sure you're okay. He goes to the doctor. Pretty much he was fine. So like there was no concerns. It wasn't like, don't travel. You're not well. Right. Right. He leaves on a steamboat that was heading to Baltimore, Maryland on September 27th. And his plan was to then travel to New York to retrieve his mother-in-law, Mary. I believe he was planning to take the train. So he arrives in Baltimore on September 28th and is not seen again until October 3rd. As far as we know, he never made it to New York as his aunt slash mother-in-law Marie never saw him. 
Otherwise, nothing can be certain. These are all just like assumptions. So that everything I just read is what we know. The rest is truly just assumptions and different theories and people have like kind of come out. But many people believe that Poe was drunk and died due to alcohol poisoning or complications from drinking. It would be one thing for him to be found drunk, but it's another for him to remain in this state for four days. Some people have tried to say it was withdrawal or just like he had reached a point where the poisoning was so bad, like his liver failed or something like that. So I don't know. We don't know. His last words were supposedly, Lord, help my poor soul. Newspapers reported that he died from congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation, which were euphemisms at the time for death due to alcoholism or withdrawal. So it might be possible. But here's Mm -hmm. a major, major mystery. All of the documents and medical records from those four days that Edgar Allan Poe spent in the hospital, gone. Missing. What in the world? I'm like racking my brain right now trying to even think of who, like what could he have been involved in for someone to make that much effort to like steal the documents or potentially kill him. Now I'm kind of like someone killed him. Like this was almost like a hit job sort of situation or kidnapped him. But like what sort of information would he have? We don't know. There is one theory where it was like an attack, but it is just really weird. Even his death certificate is missing. What is the theory behind that? What's the excuse? I mean, it's the 1840s, like possibly bad record keeping. I don't know. But even weirder is like, I think because Poe's reputation of being an alcoholic and drinking was just so known that people were like, of course it was drinking. So people didn't really question it. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like it was a big murder mystery. So there was no real investigation. There was only one reporter, one, who was like, maybe we should like inquire and find out more details rather than just all of us continuously reporting the exact same thing that we read from someone else's newspaper. Yeah. Yeah actually investigate a weird, mysterious death. Yeah. There were some people who were like, well, what about his luggage? Because when he left Richmond, he had luggage. Where's that? That's a good question. Where is it? No one really looked for it or found it until the end of October. So he dies October 7th. I think they found it at the end of the month. His luggage was found in a hotel next to the train station. And so people were like, well, what's inside of it? Did it reveal any clues? And sadly, it did not. There was like nothing special about it. We assume he checked into the hotel, was going to stay there for an evening before taking the train to New York. Right. But some people are like, he probably went and got a drink and then just went on this binge. Maybe. That's what a lot of people say. So then there's apparently one of Poe's cousins lived in Baltimore and had gone to visit Poe while he was there. He was basically through the rumor mill told that Poe was admitted to the hospital on October 3rd. And so he went to go visit Poe, but the doctor was like, we're sorry, we can't let you in there. He's in really terrible condition. We don't want to confuse him or excite him. And so he kind of like looked in through the room, sees that Poe is in a really, really bad condition, and then decides that the next morning he's just going to bring new clothes and linens for Poe. And when he does that the next day, Poe is in much better shape. Like he is certain that Poe is going to get better. Wow. Okay. And then two days later on Sunday morning, he is informed that Poe has died. Isn't this something that happens though? Isn't this, I feel like anyone who works in hospice will probably see this. I've heard 
that a few days before people die, there usually is a big like resurgence of yeah. energy and consciousness and they're having conversations and it is almost like a little bit of false hope, but yeah, there's just maybe it's just like something in the soul or the body that's like give them the opportunity to have a f- couple last conversations. I don't know. But even then, like he didn't, he wasn't able to have conversations. And I don't know if it was necessarily because he wasn't allowed visitors or what. But anyway, yeah, he seemed right. like he was getting better and then he passed away. Okay. And Poe's cousin feels terrible because had he thought Poe was going to die, he would have written to and tried to find a way to communicate to all of his family and loved ones. Right. No one got to say goodbye to Poe. Which is, I mean, I understand that the cousin was probably just confused and it's like, hey, your cousin's in the hospital, go visit him. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you can pick up a cell phone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And like make an easy phone call. But I am a little surprised that there wasn't a letter written to his wife, Poe's wife. Well, they weren't married yet. So I don't know. Still. I know. His partner. Yeah. Anyway, the communications are so strange. Marie, the aunt slash mother-in-law, contacts the head doctor who was there during Poe's death to learn Mm -hmm. more. She writes him a letter, and it's not until five weeks after Poe's death that the doctor responds to her letter and is like, I swear I'm recalling information from my official notes and refused to write in the letter what the actual cause of death was. So he's like talking around it. He's like, I'm sure you know of the cause of death. It is sad to have lost a man like this. Like, he doesn't say anything concrete. Hmm. It does also make me wonder if maybe perhaps it was alcoholism. Because when someone has a certain, I guess, like celebrity like Poe did at the time, because he was relatively well-known, and especially in that area, I do wonder if the doctors were making efforts or maybe were even paid off by certain people to not outwardly say what the cause of death was to try to, I guess, like hide it and maintain whatever reputation Poe had in his life. But his reputation was of an alcoholic. And then keep in mind Griswold, who writes this, who's one of his nemesis, nemeses, writes this horrible obituary, basically yeah. just completely tearing apart Poe's reputation And it's what everyone believes. Wait, so he got to write the obituary and his biography? Yeah. Yeah. That's wrong. It is. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. So he refuses to write in this letter what the official cause of death is. And then his official notes that he says he's referencing are MIA, like they don't exist. So it's like, what actually did happen? Is this a massive cover-up? Did the hospital accidentally kill Poe? Did something else happen? There are so many theories. So the first that most people do accept is that he died of alcohol complications. There are other theories that Poe died of heart disease or epilepsy or syphilis because of like syphilis, when you die of that, like it does cause confusion. So some people were like, maybe that was it. Oh. Or that he had died. Or rabies. Wait, that is a theory. <laughs> really? That was about what I was about to say. That's so funny. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, I mean, rabies happens pretty quick. And if someone gets bit, like they, the confusion happens and then they start rejecting water and they have like a fear of water. And it's just past the point of any medical intervention being able to make this person survive. And my next sentence is literally, so like when people are in late stages of rabies, 
they do end up getting better like and then all of a sudden getting worse. Like that is a common pattern, which is what happened. Yeah, Poe for sure had rabies. I'm I'm locking in that answer. Apparently he did have difficulty drinking water. So it could have been rabies. It could have been rabies. It could have been rabies. Especially that could have also been a reason why they don't want to say how he died. Or they didn't even know how, you know, maybe they didn't have the diagnosis of that yeah. yet. Who knows? And people act pretty scary when they have yeah. rabies too. So I wonder if that was part of like the doctors saying, oh, we don't want him to be confused or too excited, like rejecting all visitors because he was unpredictable yeah. in his behavior. So maybe it was more of a safety concern. Right. So that's very possible. But listen, here's one major mystery that we don't understand. Why was he wearing someone else's clothes? What had happened to his own clothes? Yeah, that's true. So there is one theory that there was something more sinister and an attack at play here. Because on October 3rd, the day that Poe was found in Baltimore, there was a big election happening. So in that tavern that he was found outside of, was being used as a polling place that day. And during this time, there was this like really kind of terrible thing called cooping. It was an unusual but somewhat common practice of electoral fraud. Basically, what would happen is in an effort to sway electoral votes, this group of people who were working for a specific politician would wait outside of polling places, grab someone, like an unwilling person, attack them, beat them, and force them to vote repeatedly for the candidate that they wanted them to vote for. Victims would be beat, forced to drink alcohol to make them comply, and they would be given multiple disguises so that they could go in and vote multiple times. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It seems like a lot that is of wrong effort. with the world. I know. It seems like so much effort. And because this did happen, it wasn't it wasn't the most common thing, but it had happened enough times where they're like, okay, let's put together these different clues, which is one, he's wearing a different outfit that does not belong to him. He's super confused. He's right outside of the polling place. Those three things combined could equal that. Again, the hospital yeah. records are gone, so no one knows for sure if he was beaten and bruised or anything that implied he had been beat up. He could have had some internal hemorrhaging in, in yeah. his brain or whatever too that could have right. caused some confusion. Maybe temporary amount of time in the hospital alleviated some of the swelling and he was temporarily better and then it just quickly yeah. downhill, he died. But it doesn't answer where he was for five days. Like no one knows where he was between September 28th and October 3rd. There are no witnesses. No one has come forward being like, oh, I saw him. Yeah. I spent time with him. We don't know. Right. And it's not like the hotel staff was like, oh, yeah, he was coming and going. And then I think Marie, his aunt slash mother-in-law, did try to find people who had come in contact with him. And if you remember, the man, Joseph Walker, who saw Poe is the reason that he brought Poe into this tavern to get him help. Joseph Walker, she finds out that he's the one that found him. She tries to reach out to him. But guess what? He dies of an accidental drowning before anyone can talk to him. This is reminding me of last episode when the one witness died after accidentally being shot by her son cleaning a gun. It's again like this thing because he's such a notorious, iconic human being and he is infamous. Like, And because he is the master of mystery, like, are we trying to make a mystery out of something that isn't a mystery? 
Or is there something bigger at play? We don't know. Yeah. And it's also like, did death just kind of follow him and everyone who he was around and the stories that he was involved in and people who he knew succumb to these unfortunate deaths? Maybe he was unlucky and whoever he touched kind of got a bit of that. Yeah. Or were people just dying left and right back then? I I think a combination of both. This kind of seems wild. That in his 40 years, there would be two examples of someone who's an important witness in understanding a death dies suddenly, tragically, shortly after that, that death. Yeah. I mean, it is sad. But I don't think we will ever know for certain the answer. What we do know is that Poe was buried in an unmarked grave at the Western Burying Grounds in his grandfather's plot. Because remember, he has no money. So... He's buried in the cemetery, the Western Burying Grounds, and a lot of infamous people are actually buried here, but Poe is among the most famous. A couple of years later, his cousin did financially uh, invest in a monument to put above Poe's burial spot. Mm -hmm. But guess what? It was never erected because a train plowed into the stonemaker's shop and destroyed the monument. like poe made like what's the reverse of a deal with a devil where you just like you actually don't get anything like you're just constantly being plowed over just cursed yeah just seriously cursed damn okay well that changes one of my statements because i was gonna say what are your thoughts on his arch nemesis actually being the one who had something to do with his murder (laughs) or his death because i was thinking like who After someone dies, a horrible death, who then is like, I'm going to dedicate the obituary and a biography about this person to make him the most hated and ugly type of person ever? Like, that's so fucked up unless he had a motive, which is beyond just like trying to beat Poe to some notor. I mean, if he really cared about Poe not having much of a reputation and him himself trying to be famous, why bother actually writing a biography at all? Like, you're just... You're giving more people an opportunity to learn about Poe. But I'm thinking perhaps he had a motive to make people hate him so much more than they may have already had in his life because the more people were disgusted by this man, the less likely they were to investigate his mysterious death. I don't know. I I have no idea where – I didn't look into Griswold really at all. So I don't know where he lived, if he was even in Baltimore. But keep in mind, if you remember episode one – Poe made a lot of enemies. Like he yeah, did. True. He was not a pal to people. Like he was not like buddy buddy with people. No. He burnt a lot of bridges. So if it wasn't Griswold, Dang. it could have been someone else who wrote a memoir and also tried to degrade his memory. I don't know. It's kind of wild that in English classes, I mean, maybe it's different to this like n- nowadays when kids are in school. But I feel like when we learned about these literary figures that are historical figures too we only really learned about just like strict facts of their life and then a lot about their writing style and their influence and i feel like that's missing a huge part which is like their personality and how people perceived them right why didn't we learn that poe was a dick that seems important but also why didn't we learn about how traumatic his life was you know i feel like that also feels important 
Right, because it was just like, oh, poor was Poe was orphaned and then a writer. At this age, he started writing. Yeah. And yeah. You skip over the trauma. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel like learning about it's when we look at presidents, we learn about the good and the bad. So why don't Not we? Re- I mean, kind of, but I yeah. don't know. I feel like. I guess now with the internet, we do. Maybe not in school. There's also so much that, like with Poe, you could spend your life learning about Poe and studying him. And there are probably like Poe experts, similar to like specific president experts. Like it's very hard to know everything about them. And then when someone is in such a famous and like the spotlight, things get so warped that it's hard to know what is fact and what has been misconstrued over time. This makes me miss my history teacher in middle school, Mr. Duncan. He was so real with it. He'd tell great stories and he would just be so blunt. And I think he would bring up the things that other teachers strayed away from, which was he'd make you imagine that you were this person and something horrible was happening to you or that you were the abuser. Oh. And it would stick with you, the history lessons that he taught. He was a great teacher. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Mr. Duncan. Okay, so the family is unable to afford because they're really unwealthy. Like, they don't have any money. That They spent this money to make a monument. It gets ruined by a train. No one else can afford a monument or a marker for Poe. So his plot remained unmarked until 1875 when this community of people who were teachers and in the literary world were like, we want to honor Poe. And so they raised money, like truly were collecting pennies to raise money for this. And they make a marker for Poe's plot. People today like will leave pennies on his grave kind of as a offering to the teachers and to the literary mm-hmm. community. But apparently his birth was mislabeled. I think they put January 20th when he was born on January 19th. <laughs> so even still, it's no not can get it right. perfect. He's famous in the literary and English worlds, but his His life and his history is full of typos. Yes. Nearly 25 years after his death, they do this like grand reveal for his new marker that the literary community has raised. And that doctor who was at Poe's deathbed, who had written Marie and said that, you know, very like mysteriously, like not being concrete and straightforward about the death, he comes to this event and he starts to tell people that Poe was not actually drunk. And that alcohol had nothing to do with his death. Intriguing. But he doesn't say what did happen. So it's like, why are you, what, what's going on, buddy? Are you just now trying to like stir things up? Right. Like, does he know something? Or yeah, is he just trying to create a conspiracy of his own? Right. So no one knows. There's probably, I think there's over 26 published theories as to what caused Poe's death. His death remains a mystery. And here's what I will say. To transition to the ne- next portion of this episode. I'm going to go back to part one and repeat the quote I said and I started the episode with. The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who should say where one ends and where the other begins? Because when Poe left this earthly realm, he does still remain. His presence lives on through his literary works and his spirit lingers and is present at many different places on earth. The first oddity that feels quite paranormal and also so very me in essence and calls back to the way we started this episode, Katarina, is the legend of Edgar Allan Poe's spirit animal and his cat. So his cat, Katarina, 
was several states away in Fordham, New York with Marie. And on October 7th, when Poe died, somehow this cat intuited and knew that Poe had died and decided that she could not live on without him and died on the very same day. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is beautiful, but so sad. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just reminding me of all those posts that people put on the internet of like dogs going to their owner's graves and not leaving them for a few days. It's so sad. It is so sad. But hey, he had a very loyal pet, a very loyal friend who loved him unconditionally. Yes. Maybe the only thing such person, such soul that did. And as I read this, I said it to Leia and I looked at her and I said, would you do this? And she just didn't didn't respond. So TBD. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Okay. Another strange thing. So the woman he was engaged to, Sarah um, Elmira, remember he was engaged to a different Sarah before that, Sarah Helen. Mm -hmm. So she was very interested in spiritualism and was deeply infatuated with Poe during his life, in awe of his writing, deeply inspired by his work. It almost felt like that relationship. I think there's one letter where Poe writes how he loves her because she loves him. Like she loved him so much and he loved that feeling. So he loved her. Wow. Yeah. But so she still loves him. Despite their engagement being called off, she's actually one of the like leaders to trying to rectify his name and kind of call out Griswold and have this movement of defending Poe and kind of actually truthfully telling Mm -hmm. his story. But she also is into spiritualism and tries to communicate with the late Edgar Allan Poe through seances. And she holds these seances in her own home. There was a point in the 1860s where she was so convinced that Poe's spirit was coming through that she hired a medium to move into her home and live there full time so that they never missed any of the attempts that Poe was making to communicate with them. Whoa. How very Houdini of her. I know. Another poet slash spiritualist, her name was Elizabeth or Lizzie Doton, was adamant that she was able to channel poetry directly from the spirit of Poe himself. So she would like say poems and be like, but this is not mine. This is the work of Poe's. Of course, hard to verify if it actually was Poe's spirit. But- there are a couple places that it really makes sense that Poe's spirit appears, like the cemetery where he was buried, the old Western burial grounds. Legends say Poe's ghost wanders here, but there are also some mysteries. Okay, so remember how they finally made this monument for his burial plot? This is like 25 years after his death. They're like, okay, let's yeah. put it on above his burial ground, but then When they're about to do that, they realize there's this church being built kind of on the cemetery that would block sight of Poe's burial spot. So they decide to actually move him. So they exhume his body. And as they are doing that, they're like carrying his coffin. Poe's bones, his decaying body falls out. Through the bottom? Yeah. Ew! (laughs) Oh, God, what do you do? Do you think everyone stood there in shock or do you think one person was like, it's okay, and just started picking up the bones? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I don't think that was part of the whole process. I think what they – there's probably like a small group of people who worked at the cemetery who were helping plan and prep for the actual ceremony. 
and reburial where they were going to reveal the monument. So there were probably only a few people here. And so then they're like, okay, well, we need to make a new casket and a new coffin for him. And instead of getting rid of the old one, they start to sell pieces of it off for a high price. Wow, that's kind of fucked up. And here is the birth of the goth movement. There was someone who loved Poe so much that she purchased two pieces from his coffin and fashioned them into a cross and wore it around her neck, which became a massive symbol of the goth fashion movement. Mm. I'm actually kind of surprised that Zach Bagans doesn't have anything like this in his museum. I know. Well, maybe it seems he like something know. he would go after. I wonder how you verify that it's actually his coffin, you know? I have no idea. Okay, here's another really weird thing. <laughs> A lot of weird things happening okay. here. So Poe has moved, and when he's reburied, they like save plots next to him, and his aunt slash mother-in-law, Marie, when she dies, they bury her beside him. And then all these people who like really love Poe are like, well, his one true love was his cousin wife, Virginia. She should be moved and buried beside him as well. The only problem is, remember she died in 1847. She was originally mm -hmm. interred in the Bronx. And a couple years after Poe's death, developers actually decided to build over this cemetery. So they moved all the bodies. And no one was really there to claim Virginia's body. So guess what? This man who loved Poe and actually is one of the men who started to write like a real biography of Poe, like a better, more justified one. Yeah. He takes Virginia's body. And so all these people are coming to their like, oh, where's it like for safekeeping until they know what to do with Virginia? Because I he knew no one was coming for her. Or was it to possess Virginia just like Poe did? Because I feel like although it seems like a wild move, if you know this body is just basically going to be abandoned and lost to time since no one else is claiming it and you have the opportunity to, like maybe I would do the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that there were good intentions because he did love Poe and he really wanted to help. Like, maybe he learned that Virginia's body was being exhumed and no one was claiming her. And so he was like, I'll take her for safekeeping. But like, it yeah. is weird because this was before people were calling to bury her next to Poe. And this is where it gets weird. So finally, this group of people are like, where's Virginia's body? We want to bury her next to Poe. This guy is like, huh, I have Virginia's body. Where did I put her? He doesn't remember where she is and then finds her a little bit later in a box under his bed. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just disturbing all around. Ew. Okay. Never mind. I take back all of my, oh, maybe he had good intentions. Maybe he did, but like, I don't know where to put her otherwise. Like, did he, I don't know, a cellar, <laughs> a shed? Like, why wasn't it his first thought to be like, oh, we should bury her next to Poe? You're right. Why was his thought, let me store her under my bed? He just wanted her to sleep with her every night. Right. To feel close to her. Oh, poor Virginia. But nowadays... That girl went through so much. Virginia and Marie are resting beside Poe. Many people have actually reported seeing Poe's ghost walking around the cemetery. There is a shadowy figure in a long black coat seen quite often. 
But there's so many people buried here, so it's hard to like know for certain who it is. I think people just want to say it's Poe. One woman once saw a man that resembled Poe so much, like she saw his face, that she was convinced that there was a Poe impersonator at the cemetery. And so she goes to like the staff working there and is like, do you guys have a Poe impersonator here? And they go back out to the cemetery and the man is gone. But this is amazing. So there is a legend of the Poe toaster. Excuse me, what? (laughs) For over 70 years, on the morning of January 19th, every year, there is a man, a human man, who appears in all black. He appears the exact same day, always wearing all black since 1949. He wears a black fedora and a black scarf that hides the features of his face. He carries a walking stick and slowly strolls into the cemetery every year in the early morning of January 19th, which is the birthday of Edgar Allan Poe. And every year he leaves a bottle of cognac, which is Poe's favorite drink, and three red roses upon the grave of the late and beloved literary genius. He places them there. He stands. He tips his hat and leaves. It is the same every year. Except for one year, this man left behind a note, and it said, Edgar, I have not forgotten. It was left unsigned, and to this day, no one knows the identity of this man. There was a letter left in 1998 that said, the tradition has been passed on to the next generation. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, it's not still happening, is it? Because if it were, and it's the same man, that guy's a vampire. (laughs) No, it's been passed on, but people have tried to catch this man because no one knows the identity of this man or who he is, what his relationship to Edgar Allan Poe is. They call him the Poe Toaster. It's this big mystery. There is a photo. It's called Poe Toaster. And this is the only photo that has ever been caught of the man. Oh, he looks young in this photo. I think that was back in the 90s. I don't know why I was picturing like an old, old man. Anyway, in 2006, a group of people tried to find him. They literally like staked out the cemetery and tried to chase this man down, but he got away. Interesting. Since then, I I don't know if like maybe the toaster has like changed their tactic or comes later because now people are trying to catch them. But it seems like it's been passed on through generations. Then in 2015, I think people were having trouble finding him or I think he maybe stopped coming because people were on to him and he needed to change when he came. I don't know. But in 2015, the Maryland Historical Society decided to elect a new Poe toaster to continue the tradition. And their identity of the elected official is always to remain a secret. I love this. What yeah. a great way to keep on a tradition. Yeah. And that's fun to try to become that. The Poe toaster. Yeah. The Poe toaster. It does make me so curious, though, who this person was, especially the I haven't forgotten or whatever that I have not forgotten said. Yeah. Like, what have you not forgotten? Makes me wonder because that could be it could so be someone who's like who maybe Poe showed a great kindness to. And it's like, I, I haven't forgotten the moments that you were great, despite what people are saying. And so I'm like here to honor you every year on your birthday. It mm-hmm. could be a complete stranger who's just right. a huge Poe fan. But it's also like. What if there's just some big secret? What if it's like the family of the doctor? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Mm. that mystery maybe will never be solved again. Another mystery. But 
Poe's spirit is also known to haunt the city in which he died, Baltimore, Maryland. The Edgar Allan Poe house in Baltimore, Maryland was once home to Poe, his aunt, and his cousin wife, and it has been turned into a museum, and it houses many artifacts that once belonged to him. People believe that Poe's spirit visits the home on occasion, but the most commonly seen spirit is actually his grandmother, Elizabeth Poe, who had died while living in the home, and there's a spirit of an elderly woman often seen wandering the halls. She doesn't do much. She kind of just like moseys around. There is, however, another spirit who causes quite the ruckus. She breaks windows and like will whisper in people's ears, tap them on the shoulder, turn lights on and off, and like bang and close doors and stuff. (sighs) We don't know who that is. She's chaotic. I love it. There's a little like area called Fells Point in Baltimore, Maryland that is incredibly haunted beyond just Poe. There's like a phantom whistler, women in high heels, little kids running around. But there's also Poe. But now he has friends. Maybe he's making friends more easily in the afterlife. And that's why we chose this uh, hot pocket for energy. Maybe. So the horse you came in on, Saloon, is a bar and has been a staple in the Baltimore city for over 246 years. It was established in 1775 and is the only bar in Maryland that survived before, during, and after Prohibition. So it's got a lot of history. There are a lot of hauntings and mysterious things that happen in this saloon, but it is known for being Poe's favorite watering hole while he was alive. Apparently, okay, this is the one thing that I'm a bit confused by because I read one thing that said it was the last place he drank before he died, although we thought he was sober. No one actually knows that he was drinking. And then Mm -hmm. there was another thing that said it was the... It was the tavern that he was found outside of. So I don't know. Oh. But he used to like drinking here. That is what we know. And many people report seeing Poe's ghost walking down the street towards the horse saloon. And so they no longer serve cognac. But when they did, the bartenders, every beginning of their shift, would put a glass with cognac on the bar for Poe. And... A lot of them would be like, it's so weird because at the end of the night, the glass is empty as if someone has drank the cognac, but they don't see anyone drink it throughout the evening. It would be weird for a random person, I guess, unless someone's really drunk and they think it's their drink, drinking it. That's interesting. Have they never gone to look at their security footage? Like, I assume they have a camera at the bar. I don't know. When they stop serving cognac, they would hear like a glass being like thrown and broken on the ground as if like someone was like pissed. So they associate it with Poe being oh. like, where's my drink? Watch it just be some other random spirit who's like, this is great. Every single night they give me a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about this tavern? It feels so familiar to me. I don't know. So it almost makes me wonder, for some reason I'm thinking of the Resurrection Mary episode we did, but I have no idea if that's so interesting at all accurate. I don't know. I have no idea. Because I didn't end up reading more about, like, there are other ghosts that haunt this saloon, but because there's so many Poe things, I didn't read those. Like, I didn't do more research into that because I was Mm -hmm. focusing on Poe. There's a story about a man who was sitting at the bar talking to one of the bartenders about Poe and was like, I doubt, like, I don't believe his ghost is here. And all of a sudden, his bar stool is pulled out from underneath him and he, like, went crashing to the ground. So people like to joke that Poe's like, don't challenge my existence. Yeah. 
It kind of sounds like something Poe would do based on what we know about. Yeah, he's petty. How he lived his life and how he treated people. <laughs> yeah. Then the saloon has honored Poe with a framed drawing of him that says Poe's last stop. And it's like right behind the bar. So that's Baltimore and Poe's ghost. But Poe lived in a lot of different states. Philadelphia. He didn't really live in Boston. He did frequent Boston. He was born there. But Philadelphia, mm-hmm. New York, and Richmond are all places that Poe's spirit has been seen, which leads us to Richmond, Virginia. There is another Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, and it is said to house three spirits. But this is strange because Poe never actually lived in this house. I think it's just an old historic home. It's called the Old Stone House and was built in 1740. So it's pretty historic. And when people were trying to create a museum for Poe, I think this house was already in possession of the state. And they were like, well, it's pretty reminiscent of the type of house that Poe lived in. So let's turn this into the museum. (laughs) Looks close enough. Yeah. So they filled it with like some of Poe's belongings and some of his literary work. So it is a museum Mm. dedicated to him. But people want to believe it's his spirit. But there's three spirits and it belonged to the Egg family. So they think these spirits are related to the original owners of the house. Oh, actually, though, I read a thing that Poe apparently, again, it's hard to know for certain, but when he was in the military, he visited this house like very briefly. So he stepped inside of it. Maybe it's just because there's so much memorabilia and things that belong to him that there's enough of a connection where maybe he does pass by. There's so much that's unexplained. It's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind is why so many people who have near-death experiences see Elvis Presley. It's like, why is yeah. Elvis haunting why everyone who's almost dead? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what What does he have to do with any of that? But it's like, maybe there is just something with the connection or enough people saying your name or intrigued about your life that it does draw you as a spirit to that place, whether you had any connection in life or not. Yeah. It's like Beetlejuice. The most commonly seen spirits in this house and the, the museum are children. They're two kids with blonde hair. They are seen running around and they love to photobomb. So like they show up in people's photos. I couldn't find any photos specifically, but that is what has been said. Maybe the museum like has some there. I don't know. Yeah. Makes me want to go. And then there's a shadowy figure, which is the third spirit. And so people like to say it's Poe, but the most famous ghost story from this museum. I love it. Okay. So The museum staff one evening gets this delivery, and it's a box of Edgar Allan Poe bobbleheads. It's late at night when they get this delivery, so they're like, okay, we'll set that up tomorrow. So they leave it unopened, and they lock up for the evening. They come back the next morning. That box is completely unpacked, and all of the bobbleheads are displayed and put out on the shelf for purchase. And Whatever happened, whoever did it, it never triggered the motion alarm that they have at the museum. So it just suddenly happened, like in a blink of an eye. Did Poe's ghost do it? Who knows? Yeah, I guess that's one way to be like, is this right? Should we be selling bobbleheads of Poe? And then the answer is yes, because clearly he's ready for these suckers to go home with people and for people to buy them because he's putting them on the shelves if it is him. Yeah. Stuff like that also makes me question timeline glitches like glitches in the matrix too where it's like did someone else set this up like an employee set this up and there was just like this weird like 
glitch in the timeline yeah. where we're missing in this timeline someone doing that. But it but did it happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. People like to think that Poe liked the bobbleheads and was like, ooh, look at this, and put them all out. But there is one last place, and it is actually the last place that Poe ever lived. It's the Fordham Cottage in New York. It was the home that he was planning to go to to retrieve his mother-in-law, Aunt Marie, before moving to Richmond and marrying Sarah Elmira. It is also the home that his cousin wife, Virginia, and his cat, Katerina died in. It's also the place that Poe wrote his last and final story before dying. And the home is now a museum. And this is really sad. So I don't know why I kind of laugh, but it's very sad. So his aunt outlived everyone kind of in the family and had no money. She had this house and Poe didn't make money. There was no money coming in even after his death. And So in order to feed herself, she would sell off furniture and items in her home. So when she finally passed away, there was very, very few pieces of furniture left in the home. It has now been refurnished. And then the few pieces that were left are still there. One of those things is his desk where he wrote many of his infamous pieces. I'm glad she kept that because that could have easily been one of the highest yeah. sold items, you know, that she had, but clearly it was sentimental enough that she's like, nope, I'm, I'm going to hold on it. to this. His cat, Katarina, would sit on his shoulder as he wrote. Uh, like a little parrot. <laughs> like a little raven, a bird. Also, there is the bed in which his wife, cousin wife, Virginia, had died, and a mirror that is cracked. It's interesting because when they found the house and like retrieved the house after Marie's death, They were like, why did she keep this mirror that's cracked? And they think it had a lot of sentimental value. And to this day, people catch the image of a woman passing through the mirror. So it's either Virginia or it's the aunt who has some connection to it. Interesting. People see, they believe they see Virginia's spirit, but she's very shy. So she like will wander around in a dress, but like try to avoid being seen. Yeah. Again, there's some hauntings that happen, not necessarily of Poe himself, but people are like, it could be Poe. It is the last place he lived. He also loved his wife so much, like maybe he visits. There are so many hauntings, as you can tell, where Poe haunts all over the world. I absolutely believe that the man who bestowed upon us the great murder mysteries and the gothic horror tales, he has haunted us once more, but this time in spectral form. His spirit lives on, whether in apparition or through his writings, because Edgar Allan Poe is a man who haunts us all evermore. Evermore. Every time you say evermore, I have to repeat the word. I know. It is a beautiful word. And to end this episode, I want to give everyone the solutions to the ciphers that we gave. Oh, shit. I never even tried to solve them. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, you wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't to. have. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So the first one basically solves into the soul secure in her existence smiles at the dawn dagger and defies its point. The star shall fade away. The sun himself grow dim with age and nature sink in years, but thou shalt flourish in immortal youth unhurt amid the war of elements in the wreck of matter and the crush of worlds. I can understand why people were having trouble 
deciphering it too because it's it's a poem. It's harder when you don't yeah clearly know what's yeah. coming next. Like it's not the way people typically would speak. Right. The other one, I like don't understand it. But anyway, it deciphers as follows. Mr. Alexander, how is it that the messenger arrives here at the same time with the Saturday Courier and other Saturday papers when according to the date it is published three days previous? Is the fault with you or the postmasters? That was Poe or was that the one that Poe had solved? That was one that Poe had solved and published in a paper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that one seems easier. So Poe really loved ciphers that had, like, if you had a key phrase that, like, I can't remember what the type of cipher it is, but it's where every letter of the alphabet corresponds to a symbol or a letter in the message, whereas this one I don't think followed that at all. Hmm. So, I don't know. Ciphers are hard, dude. Not my thing. Yeah. I would never be able that's yeah, that's not my thing either. No, I wish it was. I wish I had that brain, but I do not. If you and I were in an escape room and they were like, figure out this cipher, we'd be like, Well, we're stuck. Yes, we live here now. <laughs> <laughs> the bunker we've always wanted Maybe to. Maybe someone in. else will come in and help. <laughs> or we just die here. Do you think we'd even get one letter right? I think we would. In escape rooms, they make them let you they want you to get out eventually. Yeah. If we were stuck in a in a room though that wasn't like a escape room put on by any sane person but an escape room from someone who was trying to keep us there like jigsaw Mm. but there was no timer it was just like infinite how long do you think it would take us to figure it out i do think together it would be under a year (laughs) i would say like less than a day wow you have a lot of faith in us i believe we can do it we would get out but yeah everyone that is edgar Allan poe and i hope you enjoyed the two-parter i think he's so fascinating There's so much more about his life that obviously I could not cover in these two parts, but I hope that it gave you enough of a satisfying taste or tantalizing of your sensations, your feelings about Edgar Allan Poe. It certainly piqued my interest. Good. I'm glad. I learned a lot about him. Yeah, me too. Do I want to come in contact with his spirit? I don't know. I don't know because I don't know if he'd be nice or mean to me. I don't know either. If you tell him you love him, maybe he would be nice to you. I love you and I love your bobblehead. <laughs> and he's like, okay, fine. You may pass. <laughs> okay. I have an email and this one I picked out. I was originally looking for emails that related to ravens. So I was like, that just feels appropriate for Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, that is, yeah. Uh, but there weren't really that many. So we're going to read about a crow instead, which crows. honestly could still be a raven. Yes. Because it's hard to distinguish between the two. I think a lot of people don't know the differences. Yeah. But ravens are freaking massive too. I said hello to my crow this morning sitting out in the courtyard. <laughs> Do you feed them peanuts yet to make them Peggy does. really love you and attach to you? Peggy feeds them peanuts, but maybe I will start feeding them peanuts too. Yeah. Because right now they're probably, they're Peggy's crows. Yeah. Because they're whoever feeds them. But I want them to be my crows. I haven't found any neighborhood crows. If I do find any crows, I'm bringing them to my yard. (laughs) A trail of peanuts. My peanuts bring all the crows to the yard. Damn right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, okay, this is called A Pile of Gravestones in My Backyard, Sleep Paralysis, and Astral Projection. Hello, ghost says. Hello. So, hello is how it's spelled. <laughs> Was recently turned on the podcast via Morbid. Love all you spoopy, conscious, woke, quirky, special ladies. I wish for a scary sleepover with all of you. I've resonated with your podcast so much because as much as I find listening to true crime so important and interesting, I have many more experiences with the other realms. I have a few, so feel free to pick and choose. I'm going to just read everything in this email because I think it's very interesting. Where to start? My family built the home that I grew up in and am currently living in in 1999. I was seven. The road the house is on was constructed and changed because of our house being built. We all remember there being a small graveyard up the road consisting of maybe five headstones. There's this really cool gravel pit across the way owned by an old-time farming family, and they gave us permission to walk dogs, explore, etc. on their land. My sister and I, way later in life, connected on the fact that we always felt like someone was watching over us. I had one time experienced sleep paralysis as a kid where an entity just came in and lied down next to me on the bed. I was scared and I tried to scream, but I couldn't. The spirit didn't seem that threatening, though. (laughs) Just laid down? Fast forward? No. Just laid down and then you're paralyzed and you can't say anything. Nope, don't love that. Fast forward 22 years later, I moved home after living in Portland, Oregon for eight years. I was so happy to be home and for nostalgic reasons, ventured over to the gravel pit with my chunk muffin of a dog and came upon a huge pile of gravestones, at least a hundred. A huge pile? Dating back to 1804. Men, women, babies, young children, just in a fucking pile. I had this overwhelming feeling that this was not right and that these people had been disturbed and that they wanted acknowledgement. I did some research and found out that these gravestones were taken away from multiple different graveyards that were still selling plots. My theory is that the owners were reselling plots after finding that they had no existing family to reclaim their bodies. That's so messed up. Are you kidding? It is. Jeez. Ew. That night after discovering the stones, I fell asleep on the couch. I heard the front doorknob turn and someone walk in. Thought it was my sister or my mom and I tried to call out. Of course, realizing that I can't, I'm now in sleep paralysis, which has happened a lot and I'll get into in my next story. But I feel a presence enter the room and I could tell that this presence was standing over me. I looked up and there's this little boy, naked, just staring at me. He wasn't threatening or scary, just truly curious. The word curious still sticks out to me looking back on this experience. He was black, which really stuck with me because I'm from way up in northern Michigan and it's predominantly a very white area. Hmm. This little boy's life was cut short. It's just something I feel and I know. And his curiosity seemed innocent and I wish I could have taught him a game. Because I felt like he never got a chance to experience much fun. Days later, I had sleep paralysis where this angry lady was dragging me around the house by my neck. (laughs) I just moved back into the house as I've been binging and catching up on all of your episodes Definitely had the realization that listening to y'all opens some shit up. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) Great. But on to my second story about astral projection. (laughs) Woo-wee. 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 Where to start with this one is even harder. I was 21 and recently moved to Portland from Chicago. And I was definitely going through some big consciousness transformation 
and was feeling very connected. I went for a run and I realized that this crow had been following me, skipping from light post to light post. I finally turned around, made eye contact with it, continued on my run, and then I heard the whooshing wings coming towards me. The crow tapped me on the top of my head with its wings, flew up to the post in front of me, and then just stopped and stared at me. What? One of the coolest things to ever happen to me to this day. Later that day, I laid in bed writing a grocery list for the two-week cleanse that I was about to do, and all of a sudden, everything was spinning, and I thought that I was having a seizure, and I heard two voices saying, she's ready, she's fine. No, she's scared, let's not. Hearing those voices, a thought crept into my mind. Could this be what I think it might be? And boom, I flew out of my body. My mom has had out-of-body shit when she was pregnant with me, so I had an inkling. I saw myself. I saw the room. And when the experience started, it was daylight. So I decided to test it and see what I could do. I smashed the wall, surprised to see that it was solid. I played a game of slow trampoline on my bed. I fell down on my butt and then slowly floated to the ceiling. I started laughing because I'm like, this is real? This is actually happening? Then my surroundings changed. The dimensions got dark and scratchy, kind of like a static TV with orbs. I got scared and was able to wake myself up. And for weeks after that, I couldn't sleep without being sucked in. And it seemed to get darker and darker because I was a new traveler. And entities can identify travelers who don't yet have control. Therefore, they feed on their fear. I wish I had the energy to go into detail about my experiences with the demonic realm after that, but I'll send those another time. In order to sleep, I had to have a whole ceremony. Crystals, sage, candles, all the works. I said, look, I'm very grateful to have this experience of astral exploration, but I only welcome it if it's within the light planes. I need to sleep. At this time, I need all of y'all to leave me because I literally just need to sleep. Yeah. And after I said that, nothing ever happened again. I think my spirit guide who was saying, no, she's scared, was right. (laughs) (laughs) Thankful for the other spirit guide to believe in me, though. (laughs) Wowza, I've never written those experiences down, and I know I'm leaving a ton of details out. See you on the other side, or maybe in the astral plane, from Nikki. Nikki, okay. It's so fascinating that the same day, well, the crow, that experience is so cool. It's interesting that it's the same day that Nikki was able to travel to the astral plane. So it feels like there's some connection because before that part of the story, I was like, was the crow trying to warn Nikki about something or was it trying to protect Nikki? But maybe it was like a spirit guide being like, today's the day and a little like crow tap. Yeah. Almost like a sign. You're in. And kind of just like testing where Nikki was in that day. It was like a temperature check. Like, are are you going to feel like this is a cool and witchy and kind of eye-opening experience getting tapped by this crow? Or are you going to react really strongly and be scared? Because if you're scared, then maybe today's not the day. But if you think that this is some sort of open spiritual intervention, then maybe it's time. I love that Nikki's astral body first thought was, let me jump on the bed. (laughs) So fun. Yeah. It's also so interesting that touching the wall, it was hard. Yeah. You know? Like, I would think you could almost... I don't know. I, f- I feel like it would be like putty, like you could push into it and then kind of just like mm. float through it. But that's interesting. It seems like you actually do have to open doors and continue through life sometimes the way that it is. My astral experience, I definitely had to open doors. Like it was still like following the same rules, but my body was 
not physically like yeah 3d it was more spiritual i don't remember mine because there were there was a bedroom door that i had to go through and so i must have i must have opened it yeah because i don't remember how else i got out there someone this is so funny Uh, i was looking at my last night i posted a picture of me like sitting at my table and i was drinking tea reading that book attached and Leia sitting on the table and I posted on my story and someone we went to college with responded, so are you like a full on witch now? And I was like, that is the best freaking compliment in the world. I need to know who it was. That's so funny. I've never read the book attached, but I have a lot of friends who have and a lot of people say really good things about yeah. it. So my therapist was like, I've been telling you to read this for a long time. And I was like, okay, well, now I'm back from tour. I'll finally read it. Yeah. I think it's pretty much the recommendation of therapists because no one's ever heard of it from a friend. It's always been a therapist. (laughs) Well, I first heard of it from Lexi, who is a friend and a therapist. A therapist who is a therapist. (laughs) But she's a friend first. (laughs) (laughs) But is a licensed and working (laughs) therapist. (laughs) True. True. I think Poe needs a therapist. I hope that in the afterlife, he has worked through some of his pains, his traumas, or maybe he's been reincarnated and in this new life, he can work through some of his pains from last life. Yes. Yes. Our big hope for Poe. Yeah. Which in him the best? Such an interesting episode. Or two-parter, really. Wishing healing upon everyone. Yeah. And also, I feel like it's almost the curse of writers and poets sometimes, especially of that generation where like there just was so much darkness and despair and hardship. And they're famous now to us, but I wonder if they would have thought that having that fame was worth what they went through. Yeah. I mean, they like, you know, even comedians nowadays, like they say, and in the recent past, fame just generally, there's a lot of people who their lives seem so glorious and beautiful, but there's just a lot of darkness underneath it. Yeah. Well, even when we were on tour, we were talking to some people at different venues, Mm -hmm. people that worked there, and we were making comments about just how hard it is to be on tour and how we don't know how people do that and like maintain friendships and relationships and have time to go home. Like it's so exhausting. You basically have to make tour your entire life to survive it. We're like, how do some people just do this so often? And the people that we were speaking to were like, Honestly, usually those people don't have the best personal lives outside of work. Like it tour is is everything to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we love you all so very much. And we hope that you are healing and growing and that you know there are therapists, there's love and life, and there are people (laughs) who support you. We support you. And if you have ghost stories, we definitely want to read them, please email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. If you think you're Poe reincarnated, hit me up. Let's write something. I don't know. <laughs> what in the world was that? That was unhinged. That's uh, what I'm saying. Sanity, insanity, it's all here we are. I think if someone's reincarnated as Poe, they're going to write their own shit as Poe. Well, maybe I'm Mary Shelley reincarnated. We don't know. No, I I know I'm not. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm not that cool. Put all of your lover's hearts in paper bags. That is unhinged. I'll do it. Well, thank you guys for continuing to come back week after week. 
You can support us in a variety of ways. You can watch us on YouTube, tell everybody about the podcast. And if you're curious about what we're up to or want to follow along with some of the graphics, if you're not watching on YouTube, you can also follow us on social media. We have TikTok, we have Instagram, we've got the things. And then we have Patreon, which we're extremely active on and have an awesome community there. We do Campfire Stories live every Tuesday night for any of the tiers on Patreon. So if you've never joined our Patreon before and want to give it a go, you can join at that. Please do. At that lowest tier and still join us every single week for live ghost stories. Yes. And thank you so much to our team. Thank you to our producer, Jamie, for editing the episode. We love all of you, our team, and all of you who are listening. Thank you. And we will see you. See you on the other side. side.